If you've got your Bibles, why don't you open up at 2 Kings chapter 16. 2 Kings chapter 16. We're going to talk this morning about King Ahaz, who's a, an interesting character in the book of Kings. One of the worst kings of Judah. And, and I've entitled the message this morning this, Come to the Altar. Come to the altar. And let me just say right up front, you're going to get a chance at the end today to respond and to put God right back in the primary place of your life. Um, we've been on vacation this past couple of weeks. We went down to the north of Georgia. We drove down, around about a 10-hour drive there, 10-hour drive back, which for someone who's from England, that is a really long drive. <laughs> like I would be in another country if I drove that long in England. And so we're driving back up yesterday from Georgia, and I put the address, our home address, into my Maps app on my phone. And what popped up about halfway on the journey was this severe thunderstorms ahead. Show caution. Be alert. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And so as we're driving through, all of a sudden, I, I mean, I've got to admit, I have never driven through a thunderstorm before. But there's always a chance for a first, right? And so I'm driving, we're driving up, and all of a sudden, the bright blue sky goes pitch black. The clouds like, feel like they're on the vehicle. And the rain is coming down so hard, you can hardly see in front of you. And what have you got to do in those moments? You've got to slow down. Yeah, everyone puts their blinking lights on. If you can, you've got to stay in your lane. Because you know you can't really see to the right or to the left, and you just got to stick the course and stay on track. And you've just got to get through it. And in the middle of a storm like that, here's where I realized there's so many distractions around you. There's vehicles on your left, right, the rain's hitting your front windscreen. There's all kinds of sounds, the thunder and the lightning are, are going off all around you. And it's easy to, to lose your focus. And in the day and age that we live in, in the culture that we face and encounter, there's a storm and there's a distraction for our worship. And the enemy will try anything he can to get you just off course, just distracted a little bit, and get you off the journey that you are on. And he will send the rains, and he will send the storms, and he will send the noise. And all of it is an aim for him to get your worship off the one and only one who deserves your worship, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator and sustainer of all things. He's the only one who's worthy of your worship. And here's what we know. We know that Satan, we know Satan was the worship leader in heaven. So if there's anything that he despises, it's you being a person who worships God and puts him first and pursues his presence and lives a life just for God's smile, not the applause of man. And if he can get you distracted just a little bit, and the story that we're going to enter just for a few moments today in 2 Kings chapter 16 is the story of a, a battle for worship and how easy it is to get distracted. It says this in verse 10, it says, Then King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet with Tiglath-Pilsiar, king of Assyria. He saw an altar in Damascus and he sent to Uriah the priest to sketch of the altar. We detail plans for its construction. So Uriah the priest built an altar in accordance with the plans that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus and finished it before King Ahaz returned. When the king came back from Damascus, he saw the altar. He approached it 
and he presented offerings on it. He offered up his burnt offerings, his grain offerings, poured out his drink offerings and splashed the blood of his fellowship offerings on the altar. All as for the bronze altar that stood before the Lord, he brought it from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the temple of the Lord, and he put it on the north side of the new altar. What a crazy story right in the heart of Second Kings. Of a king who knows what it is to worship the God of all creation. The God of Israel and the God of Judah. And in the temple there in, in Jerusalem, the bronze altar that's referred to in the texts was set apart and it was front and center in the temple. And it tells us in the story that what, what King Ahaz does is he visits the Assyrians. And he sees in Assyria, he sees how powerful they are. He sees how mighty they are. He sees how successful they are. And he says, I want that for my own life. And he reasons with himself that the, 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 the reason why they must be as successful as they are is because of the way that they worship. And he says, let me take a look at the worship hall of Assyria. And it tells us in the text, it tells us that there he sees an altar that is built for their God to make sacrifices to their God on. And so what he does is he takes out his notebook and he sketches down a little picture of what that altar looks like. And he sends it to Uriah, his priest, back at the temple of God. And he says, hey Uriah, I've had a great idea. Draw this temple out and make it. Because we're going to place it in the temple. And we're going to worship to the God now that the Assyrians worship. Because if we worship their God, maybe we can get what they have. And he goes as far not just to make a copy of their altar. But what he does is he takes the bronze altar, which is set apart in Israel for the sacrifices that are given to Yahweh. And he moves it to the side. Notice what he does. He doesn't remove it from the room. He just places it to the side. And he places a new altar in its place and says, now this is going to be the centerpiece of my worship. And the same sacrifices that he would have made on the bronze altar, he makes on a new altar built to an Assyrian god. How crazy. That he starts in the temple, in that place where the altar sat, he starts moving the furniture around. I don't know whether you have a wife like mine who loves to move furniture around. Like sometimes I will walk into my house and, I'm, and I'm, it freaks me out because I'm like, I don't think this is my house. Have you ever done that? Like, like I'm sure we never had a piano there or a dining table there or a sofa there because everything has just been moved around. And now the place that you used to go and sit, you don't sit there anymore. You stand and the place that you used to, used to stand, you don't stand there anymore. You sit. And everything's been moved around. This is what Ahaz does. He moves everything around to accommodate a false altar to a false god. Because if the enemy can get your worship, if the enemy can get you worship, he doesn't matter. If God's still in the room, still a trinket and still a part, you can still call on him every now and then, but your heart's not pursuing him and your life is not designed to please him.
And if he can just get you off course, just one or two degrees, then he knows you will miss the mark for your God-breathed dream for your life and your horizon that he's marked for you. If he can just get your worship onto something else, then he can start to mess with your family. If he can just get your worship onto something else, he can just start to mess with your confidence. If he can just get your worship onto something else, then he can take you completely off course and make you ineffective for the kingdom of God. Here's what the bronze altar was for Israel. It was a place of worship. It's a place that they could go and they could say, God, through what we do here, the sacrifices we make, the sacrificial system that is set up, the priests that have been appointed, that we can declare, God, you are above all. It was also a place of inquiry. It was a place where they would go and make sacrifices when they didn't know what to do. And they'd say, God, what do you want for us? Not what does everybody else say? What do I think first? No, God, what do you want? Should I stay or should I go? Should I move or should I not? Should I say yes? Should I say no? Should I walk through the door? Should I go out and fight that battle? Should I stay at home? God, what do you want? It's a place of inquiry. It's also a place of honor. It says, God, we are putting you first and foremost. We honor you. We celebrate you. We respect you. We revere you. That's what the altar represented. It also represented a place of sacrifice where literally animals and grain and drink offerings were made on the bronze altar and they, people would give up something to show that they were living for far more than just themselves, that they would sacrifice so that God could be lifted up. I wonder whether we have moved the altar. I wonder whether we are giving something else our worship, inquiring of something else, honoring something else, or unwilling any longer in a day and age of comfort and security to make any kind of sacrifice that would cause us to go without. And there's a battle that's going on in Israel for Ahaz here, and not just for Ahaz, but for the people that he leads. Because your worship is not just about you. It's about everyone connected with you. And if the enemy can get you worshiping something else, as good as it may seem, he can start to mess with everyone else in your family in your world, everyone connected with you. What are some of the things that maybe in the day and age we live, we place in the place of our worship to God? Well, the first suggestion I have for you this morning is this self, self. In the day and age in which we live, we love to worship and prioritize us, don't we? We love to worship and prioritize us. In fact, most atheists that I meet and converse with, they don't believe that there is no God. They just believe that they are their own God. That they worship and live a life that is built on them. 
The only problem is when you face challenges outside of yourself, what source do you look to? To be the provider that we've sung about this morning and the saviour and the healer and the restorer of brokenness. Because you need a source outside of yourself. You and me are not self-sufficient. As wonderful as you and me may be, we are not sufficient in and of ourselves. We have limitations and yet we serve a God who's limitless. We have failings and faults and yet we serve a God who is perfect. Who's a saviour and redeemer, a healer of our sin and our brokenness, who puts us back together. And if we just live for self, we've missed out on worshipping the one who created you and me. And so if all we ever do is inquire of what ourself wants, honour ourselves with our money, and make only sacrifices that benefit ourselves, we're missing out. Because the Jesus I read about in Scripture who left heaven and came to earth and who had all the right to stand before all of humanity and say, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? Do you know the power I possess would come and he would subject himself to a human experience and he would say of himself that I have not come to be served, but I came to serve and he would humble himself and he would sacrifice himself on a cross so that others could live. And he would, in the great model of leadership, he would pick up a towel and a bowl of water and he would go down on bended knee and he would wipe dirty feet clean because that's the Jesus that we serve and that's the call that he calls us to, not to serve and preserve yourself, but to serve him and serve others and get dirty while you do it. And so if we prioritise self, we'll never build a God-centred life when we always put the interests of self first. The second thing that I think sometimes is the altar that we displace God with in our lives is our family. Now, my family is a gift from God to my life. And I treasure and love my kids. But here's the temptation I see in the culture and the day and age that we live in. It is so easy to put your kids' comfort above showing them what it looks like to serve Jesus. To serve Jesus. That we want to keep everything, no failure, no hardship. And, and none of us would sign up, stand up here today and say, I'll choose hardship for my kids. <laughs> I choose failure for my kids. No one's choosing that. But you know, when you look back on your life, you know what hardship meant in your life? Character was being developed. You know what failure meant in your life? Your ability to get back up and have some resilience and keep moving forward. And if we just create safe and secure environments for our children and we never challenge them to do something that they might fail at and they might fall in, then we're missing the mark. Because that's what it is to train and, and develop children who love Jesus and know what it is to face setbacks and difficulty and still trust in the only one who can save and heal and redeem. That's what it is. And so if we only make decisions based on what's best for our children, what will benefit them, our financial and time decisions are all structured around our kids. And listen, I, I, I know that you should prioritise your children and your, your role as a, a parent is to serve them. But don't forget, your first role is to serve the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And He's given you those children as a gift. This last uh, couple of weeks, we went on a hike on vacation. 
and it was a little bit more challenging than we first anticipated. We were in the mountains of Georgia, and we went on a seven-mile hike trail, and my little eight-year-old daughter, Phoebe, had a meltdown after one mile. <laughs> in all fairness to Phoebe, the first mile was all uphill. And she said this, I hate walking. I, I hate walking. And so she's struggling. She's, she's, but I tell you what, she made it the whole way around. And you know what we said to her at the end? Well done, Phoebe. And my wife always laughs at me because she always hears me say, uh, Phoebe, Seth, it's good to do hard things. It's good for you to do hard things because it develops character and resilience. And she made it round probably better than all of us. The downhill, she slid down. <laughs> like I'm telling you, she was gliding down there. A couple of weeks ago, right at the beginning of summer, the kids had just broken up from school and Seth was outside riding his bike on our driveway and he fell off his bike and he broke his arm. And uh, he came in the house, floods of tears. Like, I, I've brought my arm. And you could see, like, he'd, he'd really broke his arm. And my first response was not, are you okay? I've got to be honest, my first response was, you idiot. Why, why were you being so reckless? Anyone relate to that? Well... And then, and then the second thought, oh, how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> I live in America now. How much is this going to cost me? <laughs> Cheapest. We, we went to, to the doctor's surgery where they had to reset it. They asked him if he wanted pain relief. He said, no. I'm thinking, this kid is crazy. I'm sat in the room while they're clicking his arm back in. And you know, as a father, it's horrible, isn't it? Because you're watching your kid and he's trying to just, just get through it. And he did. He's so brave. And they stunk it back into place. And here's the crazy thing. You know, when he came into the house after he'd broken his arm, and I'm going crazy, you've been reckless. It's going to cost us money. You know what he said to me, Dad? His first response, will you pray for me? And, and here's the reality. Do you know when you have those moments where you're like, I suck? <laughs> like, like, my first response is, you fool, and what's the cost? And his first response is, will you pray for me? I don't know about you, but that's the kind of children I want to raise. They say, my first reflex, my first reflex isn't necessarily let's solve it or comfort me. It's pray for me. Pray for me. Because the truth is this, you cannot build God-centered children by raising them in a child-centered home. It's a God-centered home. And we build our children into him based on his ways. The third thing maybe that we build uh, the place in, in place of the altar is our career. We worship those who've been successful in our field. We inquire of them to lead us and shape our personhood more than we do Christ. We honor those who have the same commitment as us to what we commit ourselves to. And we sacrifice our well-being in order to appease our drive to achieve. We sacrifice our well-being in order to appease our drive to achieve. How are you doing? How are you doing? What's the pace like that you're running at? What are you running after? Because you'll never build a God-centered life by trying to just build a reputation for yourself. We want to do well at whatever we give ourselves to. Of course, 
but not at the sake of our worship of God diminishing. And so maybe you and me, and I can look over each and every one of these and say, yeah, there's times and still is where these altars make their way into my life. And I start looking at the interests interest of myself rather than the call and the cause of Christ. When I start elevating my family over him. Or when I start thinking that my life is defined by what I do. It is not. Another thing, lastly, really quickly, that maybe we build and place in place of the altar of God is religion. We worship formulas above our Father. We acquire of patterns and processes rather than going to God in prayer. And we honor those who we want to emulate. And we sacrifice our devotion for duty. That's not a trade that's worth making. Devotion for duty. Your relationship with God is not a tick list. It is not a pattern. It is not a formula. It's a living, breathing relationship. And here's what King Ahaz does. Is he's pursuing some form of spirituality without being truly spiritual. I want what it looks like. Build an altar. Bring it into the sanctuary. Because I want it to look like I'm spiritual. And I'm pursuing spiritual things without actually being truly spiritual. You can come to church. You can go through the motions. You can live day by day. And you can have the appearance of spirituality without being truly spiritual. By saying, God, transform my heart. That I'm wretched. And we say things like this to each other, don't we? Well, when it comes to making a decision, just, just follow your heart. Have you ever said that to someone? Ever someone, had someone say that to you? That's the worst piece of advice you could ever give. <laughs> the Bible tells us that the human heart is deceitful above all things. So don't follow your heart. Follow His leading. The Spirit of God living within you that gives you that sharp little conscience prick every time you step out of line or every time you make a decision that doesn't align with His will and call for your life. Follow and pursue Him. Not, not self, not family, not career, not religion. And here's the crazy thing that happens when we pursue Him. You know what He does? He takes care of you. He takes care of your family. He takes care of your career. And He helps build intimacy into your life. That's what He does. It's about priorities. It's not that in and of themselves these things are wrong. It's when you place these in the place of God, just like Ahaz did. When you move the altar out of the way and you set something else in motion and you say, this has got my focus and this has got my worship, that's when we miss the mark. It's about how you put it all together. I don't know anyone in here, have you ever heard of a Yorkshire pudding? I'm going to give you an education this morning. A Yorkshire pudding. A couple of people. Yorkshire pudding is what? Sometimes we traditionally eat in England when we make a big roast dinner, like a roast chicken dinner. And the Yorkshire pudding is what we make. And here's what you do when you're making Yorkshire puddings is you get eggs, flour, milk, water, and salt, and you mix them in a bowl. And once they're mixed, you let it rest for 30 minutes. And while it's resting, you take out, uh, you take out an oven tray 
And what you do is you pour a little bit of oil in one of those cookie, you know, cookie uh, oven trays. And you put and you heat the oil in the oven. And once the oil's heated, you take it out and you pour the mixture into the oil. And then you put it back in the oven for 25 minutes and it tastes glorious. Glorious. Especially with mashed potato and gravy. Beautiful. But here's the thing. With any recipe, you know that in order to get the taste that you desire, there's a step-by-step process that you've got to go through. And you don't put the mixture in the oven before it's set. And you don't, you don't put them in the oil before the oil is heated. Because there's a process to it. There's a way of prioritizing the ingredients so you get the desired result. And it's the same with the life that God is shaping for you and me. That you can have all these ingredients and you can mix it the wrong way. And you know what you have? A mess. (laughs) Or you can follow the recipe. The Bible says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's not seeking self first. It's seeking God first. It's not seeking family first. It's seeking God first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And here's what he do. He'll take care of you because he loves you and he'll provide for you. And when you lay yourself on the altar, he cares about what desires and dreams you have. And he gives you the wisdom to help steward your life, your bodies, your finance. If you'll place yourself on the altar and say, God, you are first and foremost. And I lay myself down. Paul writes in Romans this, he says this, we are now living sacrifices of praise. Worship is not something you just bring. It's who you are when you're living for Him. You are a living sacrifice of praise. You don't just bring your praise. You are. You are worship. When God's on the throne of your life, when He's front and center, when your desire is to please Him above everything else, you are worship. You don't just bring worship. You don't just sing worship. You are worship. And that's what God wants. He wants you as a person whose heart is committed to Him to be an an expression of worship in this world. That people could hear His song through the way that you live without you even opening your mouth. Because they see there's something about this person. Because they're living, breathing sacrifices of worship. He takes care of our families. He helps us raise godly, world-influencing leaders who are not spoilt or self-centered, but are God-obsessed and who love to pursue Him with everything that they have got. Anyone say amen there? That's the kind of family that I want to be a part of. He helps lead and guides our careers. He guides us through our skills and abilities when we realize that first and foremost, we live for Him, not a corporation or a company. We have a responsibility there, but ultimately we work for Him. Ambassadors of the gospel. And He leads us into relationship with Him rather than us getting lost in religion. Worship team, if you want to come and get ready just to finish in a moment. I don't know if any of you are Google fans. Whether you have Gmail or Google Docs. And Google Docs is, is a wonderful, wonderful app. Google Docs, you can take a document online and you can collaborate with other people on that document. Maybe you do this in your workplace. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about when you go home. Google, Google Docs. 
And you can share a document. I could share a document with us all today. And when I share, because I create that document, I have an option when I share that document. I can give you commenting rights, so you can comment on what I've said, what's happening in the document. I can give you viewing rights, so you can just see it. Or I can give you editing rights, where you can rewrite it, you can restructure it, you can add your thoughts, you can do what you want to do in that document. And here's the thing with God. I think most of us live and we say, God, you can have viewing rights. You can have viewing rights. I'm going to live my life and you just watch me, God. You just watch me do my thing. Or you can give him commenting rights. You can say, God, well, what do you think on this? How would, how would you frame and, and, and begin to lead in this situation? But ultimately, you still make the choice and you still lead the way you want to lead. Or you can give God full access, editing rights, where he might just rip up the script and write something far better than you could ever come up with on your own. And I want to encourage you this morning. Come on, in the season that we're moving into, the world that we live, now's not the time to just have God in a gallery viewing you from a distance. Now's not the time just to every now and then when you hit trouble, maybe I'll play Bible bingo. You ever played that? Bible bingo, where you just flick through the Bible and stop on a page because I need a word from God. Give me a little bit of commentary today, God. No, now's the time for the church of Jesus Christ to say, God, you have all access and you have editing rights in my life and I'm laying it all down before you. And so as we close today, I'm going to give us an opportunity to come to the altar and say, God, that's the kind of relationship that I want. Then maybe you realise as we talk over the story of Ahaz about how he sees a template somewhere else of what a successful life looks like and then he begins to parachute that into his own existence and to apply that to his own life and affect the community that's around him. And all he's doing is mimicking something that appears on the surface successful, but is not truly successful. Because the Assyrians have not experienced the love of the Father who is now dwelling with Israel through his presence being based in that temple. And the great news is this, we know that the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was set up in such a way that there was a way for our sins to be forgiven. We know that a greater sacrifice has now been given, Jesus. And Jesus, as He came, the sacrificial lamb, He, he didn't just come into this world, do His thing and leave. No, He laid down His life, He sacrificed Himself, the sacrificial lamb, so that you and me could have forgiveness and freedom and access to the Father. And he sets for us an example and he says, you go do likewise. You go do likewise. You show me to the world through the way that you live. So come on this morning. It's a time if you've placed self at the center. It's time to take that altar, kick it out. If you placed family at the prime center of your life, it's time to take that altar, move it in position. If you place your career at the front and centre, if you place religion and just formulas at the front and centre, it's time this morning to say, no, I'm coming back to the altar. 
where God, I give you prime position. You are the priority of my life. I got saved in an old Pentecostal church in the south of England. And we used to refer to the front here as the altar. Because we believed that in the altar, nothing special about this place other than the significance you attach to it in a moment where you make a decision to say, I'm no longer living for these things, but I'm living for you, God. And it was a place where we would lay down our lives afresh. I remember when I first became a Christ follower at 17 years old, the pastor, when he finished preaching, he said, he said if, you wanna, if you've not received Jesus yet and you want to, when, when the service finishes and the worship starts, you just walk out of your seat, you come to the front. You come to the altar. And you lay down your life at the altar and say, it's not just about Jesus blessing me, touching me, making me feel good, but I give my life away to you, God, that my life is not my own. It's yours. It's not my own. And I can't take it back once I put it on the altar. And I, every day you've got to continually put your life on the altar and say, God, let your will be done in my life, in my frail, limited existence. Let you be lifted up. So come on, why don't you stand to your feet all across this place. We're going to sing the song in just a second. Come to the altar. And if you recognise you displaced God, come on, it's time to put him back in place this morning. You leave your seats and just step up here. We'll have a few people who are around the altar who maybe pray for you. But this is more about the act of you saying, I'm moving out of where I am and where I've placed things. And I'm stepping back into the place that God, you are my sole focus. You are my everything. You're not a part. You are everything. You're not viewing. You are everything. And so come on, we're going to sing together as we sing. If you feel like you need to today, you come down. And you do business with God today. So God, by your Spirit, we ask that you would move in our hearts. We pray that you would put your finger on places and areas that we've put before you. And you'd stir us today to be people who pursue you first and foremost, value you, honour you, inquire of you, sacrifice to you, worship you. So come move, Holy Spirit, in this place. Move in our hearts. Give us a greater devotion to you, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.